flag of the United States of America, my name is Old Glory. I fly atop of the world's tallest buildings. I stand watch in America's halls of justice. I fly majestically over great institutions of learning. And I stand guard with the greatest military power of the world. Look up and see me. I stand for peace, honor, truth, and justice. I stand for freedom. I am confident, I'm arrogant, and I'm proud. When I'm flown with my fellow banners, my head is a little higher, my collars a little truer. I bow to no one. I am recognized all over the world. I am worshiped, I am saluted, I am respected, I am revered, I am loved, and I am feared. I have fought in every battle of every war for more than 200 years. Gettysburg, Shiloh, Appomattox, San Juan Hill, the trenches of France, Anzio, Rome, the beaches of Normandy, Guam, Okinawa, Korea, Vietnam, Persian Gulf, and a score of places long forgotten by all except those who were there, for I was there. I led my soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. I followed them. I watched over them. They loved me. I was on a small hill in Iwo Jima. I was dirty, battle-worn, and tired. But my soldiers cheered me, and I was proud. I was at Ground Zero in New York City on September 11th as America was attacked. I was erased from the ashes of once proud buildings by brave firefighters, heroes who risked their lives to save others, showing all that America, although bloodied, will never be beaten. Those who would destroy me cannot win, for I am the symbol of freedom, of one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I have been soiled, burned, torn, and trampled on the streets of my own country. And when it is done by those who I've served in battle, it hurts. But I shall overcome, for I am strong. I have slipped the surely bonds of earth, and from my vantage point on the moon, I stand watch over the uncharted new frontiers of space. I have been a silent witness to all of America's finest hours. But my finest hours comes when I'm torn into strips to be used as bandages for wounded comrades on the field of battle. When I fly at half-mast to honor my soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. And when I lie in the trembling arms of a grieving mother at the gravesite of her fallen son or daughter. I am proud. My name is Old Glory. Long may I wave, dear God, long may I wave. Kelly, thank you for uh, for sharing that with us, and thank you for letting me get my composure while you went right into it. <laughs> Today, we uh, we want to honor our veterans, those who've served uh, so valiantly for us. And so, I would ask if you have served in the United States military or currently are serving, would you please stand or would you raise your hand? We want to honor you today at this church. So please stand.
we thank you for your service. And I'm going to ask our church, if you would bow your heads. We're going to pray for our veterans and soldiers today. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, in your wisdom, you moved upon men to establish this great nation. You stirred a nation to hope and a dream for a land of freedom. Lord, you've inspired many of our best and brightest to volunteer and proudly stand to defend our beloved country. You've given us brave and loyal men and women who have steadfastly served to protect our freedoms and fight for the weak or the oppressed. We gather here today, Lord, to worship you and also to remember them, to remember those who sacrificed so much for the freedoms we have today. We acknowledge that their bravery and courage enables us to walk as free men and women in this great land. So, Lord, today we seek to honor your sons and daughters who served or who are serving our country. We are reminded that because of their service, we can live in safety and in freedom. We are reminded that in their shadow, we do not need to be afraid. We ask that you abundantly bless those who have served. May their sacrifice be rewarded in every day. May they gain earthly and heavenly blessings from their unselfish love of country. And Lord, we remember those who are currently serving. We ask that you would provide them with your protection, your strength, and your peace. We ask that you would abundantly provide for all their needs, that you would enable them to overcome every personal and professional obstacle. We ask that you would protect and provide for their families. And Father, we also pray for our wounded warriors. We realize that many of our heroes are dealing with physical and emotional wounds that occurred as a result of their time of service to our country. We ask that they would be given the best treatments available and that you would add your supernatural blessings to all the efforts given to help them. We ask that you, Lord, would show them miracles as they seek to gain health, stability, and wholeness. Father, we pray that we never forget to honor and hold in the highest esteem all those who in service to you and our country paid the ultimate sacrifice, which define what is so much good in our country today. We pray, Father, for our veterans that they feel honored not just today, but every day. And now, Lord, as we embark upon this time of reflection and honor, we pray that you would calm our hearts, stir our spirits, and remind us of those qualities of service and sacrifice that have long defined what the best of us inspire to be. Lord, we love you and we praise, and we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Today's message has been on my heart for quite a while. And as I was putting this together, I thought, what better way to celebrate the sacrifice that so many men and women have done in our country, but to also talk about the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all that that means. And as I was putting together this message, I was, came across a story of, um, of a soldier who's in the Arlington Cemetery. And his name is uh, Marlo, Marlon Trepto. Now, Marlon Trepto left his job in uh, a small-town barbershop in 1917 to go to France during the First uh, World War, where he served with the famed 168th Infantry of the 42nd Division, otherwise known as the Rainbow Division. While in battle, he was tasked with carrying messages, and under one circumstance, when he was carrying a message, he was killed in the line of duty under heavy artillery fire. On his body, they found a diary. And in the diary, it said this. He wrote this in his own handwriting. He said, My pledge, America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure, I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. 
When I heard that, I thought to myself, in such honorable, sacrificing commitment, we are reminded of those virtues and qualities that has carried our nation through some of the most difficult times in our history. In our veterans, we see those characters, we see those qualities, we see true patriotism and what defines the American spirit. Today, when we think about all that's going on in our world, we, we stand at the edge of... Uh, Something that feels like we're on the brink of disaster sometimes. We have the things going on in North Korea, in Iraq, the recent protests in Charlottesville and Richmond, the, the mass shootings in Vegas, the, the terror attacks recently here in New York, and then the attacks at a church last Sunday where 26 people were killed. 20 people were shot for a total of 46 people shot by a crazed gunman. And the ages of those shot ranged from the age of 18 months to 72 years old. Not only do these things shock the conscious, but what kind of evil person could kill an infant? Unfortunately, the evil that we see today is not new. It's been around for thousands of years. But what else is not new is those that would oppose this evil. Men and women who would stand the gap those, and be there for those in need to oppose tyranny. To, to live in freedom, to love freedom, who would find their strength and their faith in God to carry on during some of life's most difficult challenges and trials. When Martin Trepto wrote his pledge, he had no idea that it would be read around the world. He had no idea that President Ronald Reagan would read that pledge to our country. He did not write it to be recognized. He did not write it as a reminder to himself of, of what he must, be, must do, but he, he wrote it to keep him motivated because he was seeing firsthand the evils that this world can offer in the midst of war. My pledge, he said, was this, America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure, I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. And I thought to myself as I read this over and over and over again, imagine if every Christian had that same kind of commitment to the spiritual battles that we face every single day. I challenge you to consider this. Consider the evils that uh, we as a nation are facing today. The assaults on religious freedom, the sanctity of family, or the, or the clear opposition to what is decent and right. You see, having served in the, the United States Air Force during the first Gulf War and, and having been a police officer now for 25 years, this November 17, I've spent a lot of my lifetime seeing the evils that this world has to offer. And I see that there are many who would rather appease evil instead of oppose evil. The soldiers that we honor today did not seek to appease evil. They sought to oppose it. They gave their lives to oppose it. You see, veterans for so long, for centuries, have sacrificed so much to appease evil or to oppose evil and preserve our freedom that their heroic actions inspire us to be the best that we could be and remind us of the even greater freedom that we find in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So my question for you today is this, reflecting on the sacrifice and the service of our veterans that inspires us so often, what does it take to be a spiritual veteran, to be a, a Christian veteran? 
Well, I think the Apostle Paul gave us some great examples. Having enlisted in the Lord's army after encountering Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and he had endured so many countless struggles and trials and tribulation, Paul was definitely a veteran Christian. Even towards the end of his life, while facing execution for his commitment to Christ, Paul sat in a cold Roman prison, cut off from the rest of the world just with a a quill and some parchment, knowing that he was going to be executed, and he wrote his final thoughts to Timothy, reminding him of what was truly important and encouraging him to keep the faith. And so we're going to look at this this morning. So if you would, please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. And let's stand out of reverence and respect to the reading of the Lord's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we'll be looking at this morning. It begins by saying this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. And Father, I pray as we get into this time of worship, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, Father, that you would take me out of the equation. And the things that we hear this morning are impressed upon our hearts and our minds and our soul and inspire us, Lord, to draw closer to you. Father, we love you and we praise you and we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in these short verses here, the Apostle Paul focuses on three words that really stuck out to me when I read this. Enlist, endure, and engage. Each representing a different aspect of what it takes to become a veteran soldier of Christ. To be a veteran in general, enlist, endure, and engage. Now, as a veteran soldier of Christ, the beginning must always begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Enlistment is a commitment, but here's the thing. God does not force anyone to serve in his service. It's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice that you make when you seek Jesus Christ out as your Lord and Savior. It's a life-changing decision, and it's not one to be taken lightly. In fact, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me but loves his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, or sisters, or even life more than me, he cannot be my follower. Whoever is not willing to carry his cross and follow me cannot be my follower. So when you, you make that commitment to Jesus Christ and you're listening into, enlisting into God's army, that's a commitment that's not just a commitment for Sunday, but it's a commitment for every moment of the day. We're also told to endure here. James reminds us in James chapter 1, he said, When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Think of the Apostle Paul when he was in prison and some of the most challenging trials, his hardships and and struggles that he would endure, he continued to praise God. And those that saw him praising God during these difficult trials were inspired to share the gospel of Jesus Christ from town to town to town. They would not quit and they would find their strength and their faith in God. We're also told to engage here in the text, meaning get involved. 
Do you remember the, the end of the pledge we just read where it says, by, uh, by our, the soldier who said, I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. I really truly believe that if we went forward with that commitment to engage, that we would be able to change this world in a mighty way very rapidly. You see, God has chosen his people to change the world and we can't do it just one day at a time. Or just one day only. We have to do it every moment of the every day. That's the kind of commitment that we see being a veteran soldier in Jesus Christ's army. Enlist, endure, and engage. And when you see these three, these three things brought together, enlist, endure, and engage, we see a cycle of sacrifice that is the hallmark of being a seasoned veteran. I remember when I first enlisted in the military... And I had gotten off the airplane and got on my bus down at Lackland Air Force Base in, in uh, Texas. And when I got on that bus, everybody was afraid. There was a lot of anxiety there. And you look around and everybody's sitting in the seats with you. And instantly, the person sitting next to you becomes your best friend. In fact, uh, if, if they were from your hometown, you're best friends for life. Because you don't know what you're getting ready to expect, but you've heard the stories. You know that any minute there's going to be a man that's going to get on that bus and he's going to yell at you and he's not going to be your friend and he's going to make your life miserable for the next several weeks. You know that's coming. You feel it. Something in the fiber of your bones that says, watch out for this guy. My only hope was is that I was really short. Maybe I could hide behind the crowd, which did not help me. In fact, my youthful appearance and my shortness, I stuck out like a sore thumb. We were on the bus, and this drill instructor hops on the bus, and he is ripping soldiers off the bus. Get off the bus. And I'm thinking, is he allowed to grab you physically and pull you out like he's doing? He was doing it, and I wasn't going to argue with him. So we get off the bus, and we're down there. We're standing on our footprints, and he's yelling. And apparently I can't put my books down right or my bags down right. And uh, I don't know how to walk up the steps properly. I, I can't speak properly. I don't know. In the 30 minutes, I felt like a complete failure. I thought to myself, all right, you know what? I need to get off this guy's radar because he has singled me out. Because he asked me right off the bus, he said, did I sneak in because I look so young? So I knew I was going to be on his radar. Well, we went up to the barracks and I thought to myself, you know, my anxiety is building up. My buddies on the bus, they're all over the place. I have, I'm, I'm here by myself. What did I do? Did I make a mistake? I, all these things going through your mind. And the drill instructor is still yelling at you. He says, everybody up against the wall. So we stand up against the wall. He begins telling us all the rules. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. Don't even think about them. Tell them not to send cookies and things, which my mom did anyways, which is not good. Don't send stuff. He's giving you all the rules of things not to do. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to impress this guy. I'm going to do my best. And he says, now this time, turn around, face your locker. So I did. I turned around and I'm looking and everybody's got a locker this way. Everybody's got a locker this way, except for me. I took the one spot where there's no locker. I was like, son of a gun. I can't get a break. So I did what every good soldier has done in that environment. I froze. I'm just going to stand here. Maybe he won't notice me. He starts saying, this is your locker. Memorize the number. And he has everybody get close to the number. Now I'm like, I, I don't, there's no lockers anywhere in sight. Where am I going to go? So the next thing I know, he's yelling, airmen, airmen, hollering at me. And he grabs me by my shoulder and he, he 
takes me over to another locker there. He's like, you're going to be my best friend. I'm like, no, sir, I don't, don't want to be your best friend. So then they're going through the lockers. Now, everybody who served in the military, you know that there's a procedure and a process for everything. It's attention to detail. So we have this chain that they give us, and it's got this little uh, key on it. It goes down to about here. And this is to unlock your lock where you put your valuables in. Never supposed to take that off. Now, the, the, the thing is, and they, they designed it very interestingly. They put this, this box at the bottom of the locker. So that way, in order to get to it, you have to get on your, all your knees like this. You can go like this to unlock the locker. Now, if you can imagine, a locker has been used probably a thousand times, that lock. Mine was a little worn, and my key wouldn't come out of the lock. And so as I was down there, and I'm trying to get it out of the lock, and he's, everybody else is up. <laughs> I'm like, here I am again. I'm causing this guy so much problem. And I look to my, to my buddies to the right there, and then now the drill instructor accuses me of wanting to steal their stuff. And, uh, and I was, it, was just, it was just one bad experience after another. But here's the thing. I currently got on his good side because I was put in charge of cleaning toilets for the rest of my time there and given the title of train queen. And I'm like, wait, hey, that's all right, as long as it makes the drill instructor happy. But here's the thing. The guys that I uh, through basic training lifts, uh, with, some of those guys followed me throughout my military career. The camaraderie, the teamwork, the discipline that you develop as, as in the military as, as soldiers is, is second to none. We would travel to many places. I would travel to Dahran on part of a 13-man team and, and be there during in Saudi Arabia during the, the bombing of the Kobar Towers where I lost some friends there. And then I was over in Cuba uh, during the Haitian refugees when they were coming over there. And, and, and you realize that you rely so heavily on those men that you train with, that you work with, and we're through crisis with. And I think about our church. I think about the environment that we're in here where we work so closely together. I think about the opportunity we have to come together and be with each other in the same way and develop those friendships and those relationships that will last a lifetime. Because the world is constantly going to throw things at us that want to divide us, to separate us, to to make us fail in our mission in serving God. But here's the thing. As Christians, we're reminded in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, as his children, we're part of the greatest force this world has ever seen. So here's the thing. We know what's right, and we know what's wrong. We know that we cannot appease evil, that we need to oppose it, but how? When we think about our country, how can we redirect a nation that seems content on appeasement? By enlisting, by enduring, and by engaging. And all done with a sacrificial spirit that puts God's will in your life first. That's why we can stand here today and recognize the sacrifice of our soldiers. Because in their actions, we are given a tangible glimpse into the sacrificial kind of love that led Jesus Christ to the cross. That sacrificial love that he had for us that changed the world in an instant. You see, when Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross... His sacrifice was unique in the impact that it would have on all mankind. And as the Son of God, He did not have to do it. He did it of His own free will. He gave His life for us so that we would not have to experience the penalty of sin in our life. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, it says this, 
For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. What does Jesus mean by that? No one takes my life from me. Didn't Judas take it? What about the mob in the garden or Ananias, the high priest? What about the false witnesses that, that came against him in the, in the crowds who cried, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him? What about Pilate who handed him over and, and the soldiers who handed, hammered the nails into his hands? What does he mean when he says, no one takes my life from me? I think he means that at every point where it looked like he was under constraint. Every moment where it looked like he was being forced to do something that he did not want to do, he was not being forced. He was choosing it. He was embracing it. He and his father were orchestrating it because they love us. No one takes my life from me, he says. I lay it down on my own initiative. He tells us very clearly that his love for us is free. Why does Jesus say this? Because if he didn't die for us willingly, if he didn't choose the suffering and embrace it, then how would we know the depth of his love? How would we begin to grasp just a part of his love for us? So here's what he does in his word. He stresses it. He makes it explicit. The depth of his love is in the freedom of his love. No one takes my life from me, he says. I lay it down on my own initiative. Meaning it comes out of me. Not out of circumstances, not out of pressure, but what I really long to do. I want to let that truth sink in this morning. No one took his life from him. He gave it for us willingly. He embraced the suffering. He was eager. It was his joy to live and to die for us. You know, when he shared the supper, the last supper with his disciples, and he said, it is with fervent desire, I desire to share this meal with you. He understood that that was the last moment that he would be with his disciples before these series of events happened. But it was with fervent desire, he said, he wanted to be there because he knew the result of what was going to happen. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the last night before his death, Jesus said two stunning things that sealed his death and showed us that he was acting in the utter freedom of his love. When the mob finally came and they, they came to, to take Jesus into custody, Peter struck out, we remember, and cut the ear off the priest's servant. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26. He said, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? What is he saying here? He's saying, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. I choose this. I embrace this. This is my love at work here, Peter. Don't try to stop it. This is no accidental mob violence. This is my sovereign love for you, Peter. Don't try to restrain it. And he turned and he healed the man's ear and said an amazing thing to the mob in Luke chapter 22. He said, while I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me. 
but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Jesus was saying up until that moment, you could have killed me easily, but you didn't. Do you want to know why? Do you think it was because you were deciding the hour? No. The reason that this hour is here, the reason that this moment is now is because this is your hour, not before and not after. No one takes my life from me, he says. I lay it down on my own accord. I decide the hour, Jesus said, not you. I'm not being swept away here. I'm walking willingly with my eyes wide open, with all my heart to the cross, because I love you. I really love you. You see, he rejoiced to do his redeeming work for us, to gather himself together, a a holy, happy, praising people. That's his desire for us. And he wanted us to see how free he was in making that choice for us, to see how much power and authority he has. You see, Jesus was able to avoid the cross if he wanted to. He was able to avoid the cross if he so desired. But he didn't. He had the power to avoid the grave. He had the power to devastate his enemies. He had the power to do whatever He wanted to do whatever he set his heart to do, but instead he went to that cross for us because he loved us that much. And then when Jesus accomplished his mission, as he sacrificed himself for us, after he was resurrected, he called into this service with him ordinary men and women to help accomplish that mission. And now... Like an unstoppable force, empowered by the Holy Spirit, these ordinary men, used by God, are standing up to the highest worldly powers of the day. They are standing up to corrupt nations and opposing the evils of this world. And as soldiers on the front line, they are declaring, I will not stop. I will not be stifled. I will not deny him. I will not disobey him. I will put my trust in him. I will not stop declaring his name. I will not be afraid to carry forth the message of Jesus Christ to a world that so desperately needs it. You see, God has called us as each one of his children into his service. Ordinary men and women accomplishing amazing things. Christian veterans, Christian soldiers. Think of Moses, labeled as a murderer. Came from tending sheep in the desert to lead the people out of Israel and Egypt. King David, the same thing, a lowly shepherd who ultimately became the king of Israel. Daniel, who came out of slavery and captivity in in Babylonian to become the assistant to the king of Babylon. Or, Or Gideon, who was considered by many to be the least of his men. And then to lead them the way he did. What about the Apostle Peter and John, who previously had been fishermen on the Sea of Galilee? You see, these were all ordinary men. Yet God called them into his service and used them in a mighty way. And they became Christian veterans. You know, one of the biggest obstacles facing Christians today in being bold or or being willing to fight the good fight, as the Apostle Paul says, is fear. I imagine there's been moments in our life when we've all been afraid. Maybe it was a scary movie or being in the dark as a child or some sort of experience in life. I don't know. I remember when I was a child, the, the first opportunities that I really, or first memories I, I really remember of being scared are when my dad used to ask me to go outside at night 
to our shed that was in the back of our yard. We lived at a Civil War battlefield, very, very dark area at night. And my dad would say, hey, I need to go out to the shed and get this or what have you. And the shed was from here to maybe the, the food pantry out back. It was a good distance at night. And so my dad would do what every good dad would do. He would stand by the door and watch me and make sure that a bear didn't get me or a mountain lion or a tiger. You know, all those things going in your mind as a kid. So I would walk by and walk down there and keep looking back, just like this. My dad, he waved like that. I'd get to the shed, and then every time we'd have a power failure, all the lights would go off. I couldn't figure it out. I thought to myself, surely my dad wouldn't be turning the lights off to see me running and screaming from the shed back to the house. I don't think it was a power failure. I think he just enjoyed seeing me scream. But you know what? Fear didn't stop me because I knew that was going to happen. It made me run faster. God tells us in Isaiah chapter 41, he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, we serve a mighty God. And it's in his might that we can endure the greatest hardships. And it's in his strength that we can engage this world and share the greatest message that this world has ever heard. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate Veterans Day to honor the sacrifice of those men and women who are willing or who have given their lives in service to this country. This history of preservation in our country has found its truth and its sacrifice in the Word of God and in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a church, we must rally together and stand firm in the opposition to the evils of this world that are constantly trying to influence our culture, our well-being, our very lives. And it's subtle. It's not in your face. For the most part. It's like cooking a frog. You familiar with how to cook a frog? How many people have eaten frogs here? So we got some brave people ready to raise their hands that they ate a frog. <laughs> I didn't think anybody would raise their hand. I actually think it tastes good. It tastes like chicken. But here's the thing. You can't put a frog in hot water because it'll jump right out. You got to put it in cold water first and heat it up, and it never knows it's being cooked. If we don't stand firm in opposition to the evils of this world right now, and we appease instead of oppose, then what's going to happen? It's going to be a little bit of time. A little bit of time, a little bit of time. And then eventually you're going to look back and say, what happened? Why didn't we do something? Now is the time to do something. Oppose the evils of the world. Stand firm on the Word of God and enter into relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if I could end this thought today with you, I want to tell you this. As a child of God, you are extraordinary. And God will use you to do extraordinary things. To don't think that there's an obstacle or trial out there that is too difficult for you to manage. Because when God is on your side, there's nothing too hard for Him. And God has given you a church family to come alongside you and walk with you. When the United States military sends its troops out, they didn't send just me to Saudi Arabia. They didn't send just me to Cuba. They sent out a team trained, who understood the mission. That's how we need to do it as a church, as a team, trained in understanding the mission of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, you have to enlist. You have to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. 
So here in just a minute, we're going to go into our time of invitation. And I'm going to encourage you that if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would take a step out of the seats here, that the Holy Spirit's been working in your heart, and you'll make that most important decision that you'll ever make in your entire life to join in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Understanding that He died on the cross for our sins. That He was buried, that He rose three days later. He's living today, and there's no other way to heaven, no other way to eternal life but through Him. Or maybe you, you have enlisted, and you said, you know what, I need to join this team. I want to be part of this church. I want to march side by side, my brothers and sisters, as we go out into the community to make a difference for our Lord and Savior. If you want to join the church, we want to come up. We want to embrace you. We want to recognize you as well. But please, don't leave today without Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior.